Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Soundworks Collection interview series. This is Michael Coleman, and this week I spoke with the sound team behind director Richard Linklater's American coming-of-age drama, Boyhood. For this interview, I spoke with sound re-recording mixer and supervising sound editor, Tom Hammond, sound recordist, Ethan Andrus, sound mixer, Ben Lowry, and sound recordist, Ben Lazard, about the technical and creative challenges of following a production which was shot over 12 years. I hope you enjoy. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to talk with me about this project, Boyhood, which is an incredibly unique project just from a story standpoint in terms of what the audience experienced. But I can imagine from your guys' perspective, too, it, it seems like uh, it seems like one of those client calls when the client calls you and said, oh, this is going to be a really short project. It's going to be two months and then we're going to be done. Did you guys ever get the feeling that it was potentially going to be a project that you know was going to be one length at one time, but then turned into this 12-year amazing effort? Uh, this is Ethan. Um, I knew ahead of time, because I started it, um, what they were planning on doing. It was kind of based on the model of like the documentary 7-Up, where they keep revisiting every year, mm-hmm. um, but of narrative form. So I knew that it was going to go 12 years. I knew that they had a deal in place and that they were going to shoot somewhere between three to five days you know, sure. three, between three days in a week per year for 12 years and end up with, you know, a full length movie. Yeah. And then, when did uh, Ben Lowry or Ben Lazard, when did you guys get involved? This is Ben Lowry. I came on, I think my first year was uh, year eight or nine. Okay. Um, so Ethan, Ethan did all of the first seven years. I did either one through six or one through seven. I'm now second guessing whether seven's mine or not but it's, I, think it's, I think it was one through seven i like it it's, it's kind of like lord of the rings it's it's been a while it's hard it's funny yeah, think- that it's hard to remember <laughs> um yeah but um i came on just because of uh ethan not being available because of other projects mm-hmm. like happened in a lot of departments yeah then um uh ben lazard also came on and did some of it oh nice um, yeah, well, what happened was we would get a call from – it, it was always based on uh, actor availability, Ethan and Patricia in particular. Um, and so what would happen is we'd get a random email or call each year about, oh, I'd say about two weeks to three weeks out and say, okay, is everybody – maybe even less – and say, okay, is everybody available for Boyhood this year? And so um, – it ended up getting to be where I, yeah, I was on other projects or out of town or whatever. And so it, it just became something that, that other multiple people, multiple departments were going to have to feel just because of the short nature and kind of off the cuffed, mm-hmm. off the cuff filming of it when it was in, available within a lot of, you know, people's important people, I guess, as far as, you know, the actors, et cetera, and, and Rick as well schedule. Mm. And Ben, for you, Lazard, um, when did you get involved? I worked as a boom operator for Ben on his first year. Okay. And then mixed a little bit uh, that year also because he had a uh, availability issue for one of the days. Mm-hmm. And then I believe I mixed that following year. Uh, <laughs> don't ask me. Yeah, since we, none of us I, – I, Yeah. I, I don't remember what number it was, but I did the fo- – I believe it was the following year, if not the year after that, which I, I could be actually wrong about. Uh, um, okay. I, I'm, I'm just trying to think about the 12 year cycle, how much time goes by, how much, how many projects go by, how much other work we all probably have been involved with over that time. So when, when it came up each year, 
what were you guys thinking of in terms of how in terms of consistency and then also just the fact that I imagine your rigs and your gear would evidently change also over time. When when it started, this is Ben Lazard. Yeah, I, I I was still in college and I had heard about it, and a lot of my friends were interns on it. Okay, uh, for a detour, and as it progressed, you know, I mean, well, I didn't own any gear at that point, so <laughs> yeah. But, but Ethan started it, and then you know, as it progressed, and of course, you know, he he can actually which should speak upon his change in the evolution of you know how they recorded it actually. Since we're talking with technical people, mixed magazine readers, I used to be an avid mixed magazine reader when I was more doing music. Um, yeah. But, so I understand the audience. Um, essentially, it started out in Timecode DAT. Two-track mm. Timecode DAT was the machine that was used for you know recording production sound at the time. Uh, refreshed by Tom Hammond, just the last interview, I guess I did year one just on a two-track Timecode DAT. Year two was a timecode DAT, but then also a backup machine or an ISO channel machine, which was a, I think, a 20-bit ADAT. You know, it was an old video cassette digital format that did record music a lot, and so that's what allowed ISO channels prior to the advent of, of hard disk multi-channel recording for the field, which now all of us own, yeah. usually in a variety of somewhere to eight, you know, eight channels plus. And that's kind of been so there was really one transition as far as audio. It started out from timecode DAT for a couple of years and a little bit of a goofy music format to 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 give the ice the channels and then it went to um, hard disk recorder, timecode hard disk recorder, uh, that was spitting out computer files and, and uh, has it remained that way till the end. Nice. And uh, Tom, are you there now? Yes I am. Awesome. Yeah, what well, when did your involvement begin? There was actually only two periods. First of all, uh, for the the post of the when we started in last November, but um, the only other time was when Rick wanted to get the recordings of uh, of um, Eller mm -hmm. for the scene that uh, uh, Ethan actually recorded, where they were at Perdinellis Falls. Kind of recorded <laughs> guide track. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. Right, so we didn't have he record Ethan recorded the production there as best he he could. Mm -hmm. They were taking off their clothes down to their underwear, and they um, he couldn't place the microphone. Okay. Them. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, so we needed to replace the audio. So um, I guess Eller was about um, God. What was he about? Eleven or thirteen? His voice yeah, was he's probably like just preteen. Would be my guess. Okay. And uh, Rick knew, you know, we better get him now because his voice is going to change. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, well, so we brought him. That was 2007. We brought him in and recorded. The, there were probably six lines we needed for that scene. Uh, who was the keeper of all this material? Who was there a producer? You know, was it someone on uh, the production side who was who was managing all this content over the years for you guys? It was uh, Sandra Dare, the picture editor. Okay. And she had a number of assistants, mm -hmm. um, and but I think it's to her credit was very very well organized, and um, and we we received a box with all of the <laughs> original production in it, and yeah. it was all there. And, and so I guess at what point did you guys uh, start assembling? Was it a, a, a kind of a rolling edit that as the shooting progress each year there was an edit that followed or was it all at one time towards the end it was all at one time at the end okay uh sandra would cut you know the that year's work yeah 
and she was they were using I think just a DV tape they would send it off to the lab and the lab would put it on a hmm. DV tape with uh, the tracks the production mixer mm-hmm. had selected so there was only two tracks on that tape so that's what she worked with so when we started working with it in November we needed to pull as much of the multi-track material yeah. as we could because we were swapping out a lot of lines right. and trying to fix some problems. Yeah. How, how would you guys each individually describe, you know, your um, interaction and kind of discussions with Richard, uh, the director, Richard Linklater? Did you, did you guys find that he was thinking about the technicality of, of uh, how this is all going to come together? Or was it, you know, but, yeah. I think a lot of the credit goes towards Sandra again. I mean, okay. she, she just, she, she's very good at, you know, being on top of everything. I, there, there was absolutely no problem with any of the organization on this wow. for us. It was, it was like any other film. What, and also, what did you guys find in terms of just consistency between your tracks? I imagine, Tom, for you, you were the one who could maybe have a better sense of how it maybe was was consistent or wasn't consistent? Did you run into any of those difficulties? You know, it probably has to do more with the technology change because okay. when Ethan started working, his first year was on a on a DAT, time code DAT. <laughs> yeah. And then the second year was on ADAT. And time code DAT, yeah. The dailies mix was on a time code DAT and the multi-channel was on an ADAT. And then everybody went to, um, to multi-channel hard disk from those years on. Uh-huh. And different yeah. formats of that. I think I first was using a Fostex PD6 and then a Diva 4. And I think the, the two Bens have sound devices uh, recorder. So the, even the five, the, the ty- well, I guess it's a little less now, but the PD6, when that first came out, that had like little optical discs in a cartridge. So that was presenting <laughs> its own little weird. Wait, I mean, it was all computer files, but you had to have the right thing to get it into the computer. Now it's pretty streamlined for all of us. Yeah. We either turn in an optical disk or turn or or copy a hard drive or copy over a flash card or whatever. It's made it a lot easier. But at the advent, when it was first starting, there was a lot of different ways that companies were trying to information off the recorder to the computer or Pro Tools. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like, I think you guys, you, everything but maybe quarter-inch tape or... Uh... Yeah, a, a zip yeah. drive we, or something. We basically. would have been just about five years, well, maybe a little bit more earlier. We could have got the Nagra in the mix on a quarter-inch timecode tape, and then we, you know, we would have had the whole gamut of what's been used pretty much for production sound. Yeah. I mean, what did you guys find in terms of when you when you saw the the you know the mix has been done? It's been out in theaters now, and how is it for you guys to watch the film? Have you seen it? And and obviously, you know, you you remember what it was like, you know. The, as you were following this this twelve year project, I, I found it to be extremely consistent, and you would never have known that there were four production sound mixers working yeah. on, and that's a testament to Tom's work as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, but even just you know, follow. It seems like you know, twelve years. That's 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 almost as long as I've been out of out of college. Like my whole career is in, encapsulated in, in those years, and for you guys. I mean, is it a little bit of a, uh, gosh, like a, a memory book of, of all the, the times? or only, Because I guess a few of you were only on for a few years towards the end or I guess in, in the beginning for Ethan? Yeah, this is Ethan. I, I can say that um, I've been doing this a little over 15 years, production, sound, mixing. And so it's tw- the thing's 12 years old. So <laughs> yeah. it kind of has taken me from... 
the fledgling of my career to where I am now. Well, you know, I guess for the first seven years of it. Um, but it, yeah, it's kind of weird. And like I had mentioned in another interview, I was concerned is like whether it was going to be as solid, you know, as I feel like my stuff is now just because it started so early in my career. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've, I've grown and learned a lot through doing it a while. Um, as far as the actual picture, um, because I did the first six or seven years in a row, I, I really could remember, and it did jog my memory of all the of the scenes and days that I hadn't thought about in a long time, but they, they were all still there, or the memories were still there, and then presented with the film, I could see, you know, I, I just remembered all the time that we had spent, even though it was piecemealed over so many years, I, I remember the, it all. And, it, and it's it's pretty cool to see that. I mean, I remember the details of the days once I saw the footage mm. of at least the first, you know, six or seven years that I was on. Uh, do you guys have any uh, insight tips or unexpected takeaways or challenges that you guys found of, of working on a project like this? I mean, because the track itself, it's, uh, it's a pretty straightforward, because it is a dialogue-heavy film. Um, the, I mean, just that alone is is you know i think what a majority of films are striving to do having the dialogue track nice and clean so the audience can obviously not be um distracted but were there other unexpected challenges that that were found on the production or on the the post side with rick's film we had talked about this in the other conversation mm -hmm. um with rick's films the priority is to get the dialogue as clean as possible a lot of his films don't have that much action yeah so uh you want everything to be as natural as possible the foley can't sound like foley the the you know the the gunshots need to sound real the door closes the All right the cars so um you know that that is the that is probably the big challenge on a film like this is mm -hmm. is it's very straightforward but you you know you're just trying to to make that ADR scene sound like it's actually production sound yeah um and where where is a lot of that um, being looped? Was that done in Austin, or where about did you guys go? We just used ISDN for most of it. Okay. Um, there there are a couple actors here in town, but you know Ethan was in um, New York, and um, mm -hmm. I think Patricia was in um, Los Angeles. Yeah. So you know they you know Ethan's amazing at looping. You know he's just. Um, incredible I, that scene I'll go back to that scene the the Pernella scene mm -hmm. um, that we had already gotten the lines for Eller on he just nailed it you yeah. know there's uh, he was able to listen to the production that was recorded there which wasn't recorded very well but using that as a guide um, got the timing just almost perfect it was only a couple takes that's all we needed <laughs> Yeah, he's got all that energy. He just builds it up. He's able to get that energy that he was recreating. Yeah. And and for the the production guys, how how do you find um, Richard on set in terms of letting you guys do what you need to do? Is there a shorthand that he has with you guys and and understanding uh, that you're gonna get the tracks you need? Is there much opportunity to ever really go back and take another one, or how does it work for you guys? This is Ben Lowry. I, I found him to be very um, hands-off on set, not at all a micromanager. He kind of trusts everybody to do their job. And, um, and that said, uh, wants to hear if, uh, wants to know if we didn't get it, didn't get what we needed on a take so we can go again. But he's, uh, he's dedicated to getting it and um, let us handle it.
Rick is this is Ben Lazar. Yeah. Rick's a director who knows how to get good dialogue and he knows how to shoot scenes in a way that will allow us to do our jobs properly. And, you know, he 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 will break a scene down with the actors, say give give them as many chances as they need to to get the lines and, and say it how they want to or he wants to hear it. And you just you get so many chances with him and that makes our job so much easier. The experience I had with him, and certainly not as extensive as Ben's or Ethan's. Uh, this is Ethan. So I was going to say what what uh, kind of reiterating what Tom said is that uh, he's he's pretty much a cinematic purist in the sense of what you see is what you get, or what you hear is what you get. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a it's not a big action blow up, you know, overdone sound effects type thing. He's his movies are very talky. Um, so that's challenging for any production mixer. Uh, you've got to make, and there's not a whole lot of stuff behind the dialogue tracks either. You know, there's not a whole lot. There may be a music bed, maybe, or some ambience tracks, but he lets it play pretty much how it, how it happened. And so, uh, for, you know, any production mixer, you, you've got to get it and it's got to sound natural. And, um, and he's also, you know, like, uh, Ben Lazard was saying, the way that he shoots things is he tends to have a lot of coverage, so it does give a lot of opportunity from wide shot to medium shot to single, to um, to get it, um, and and or maybe and Tom could attest to this steal from other places or whatever. Hopefully not having to, but mm-hmm. but have the potential there. Um, and and I think that he is a trusting person. I think that that he is he is not as Ben Lowry said he's not a micromanager. Um, he he wants to know if there's a problem, but he's not in your business, uh, and uh, he's just uh, tr- trusting that the universe will kind of deliver. I mean, I've just seen I've seen his progression with a scene where at the start of the scene, it's not he's not really feeling it, and then you can see it start to happen where the scene's starting to come together and it's starting to come become natural and it's starting to become real, and I can see that response in him as it happens. Um, I think he's just, I think he's dialed in and just kind of trusting the universe to put the right pieces together and let it play out, uh, both, you know, triumphs and mistakes, and it's all going to work out for the best. Yeah, I think having opportunity to talk with um, just a wide range of folks below the line on the sound side, that everyone, um, whether you have a shorthand or experience working with a director, I feel like you know, you want to make sure that you cover, you do your job and, and, you know, that you're going to be able to pass on the production tracks to, you know, the post team so that, you know, they can have their, their turn at it. Uh, how, how many of you have worked together um, on other projects before this? Tom and I, this is Ethan, Tom and I, I think have worked on four of Rick's films or du- four of Rick's films during the time that Boyhood was being shot. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't think that it was like four films and then Boyhood. I think it was like there was a couple films before it started and then maybe two more during it. Mm-hmm. So Tom and I had worked together. I'm always, you know, wanting to speak with, you know, it's like the production mixer is somewhat delivering for the po- the post-production. I mean, right. production mixers have to balance personality on set getting what they need but that really they they uh their real responsibility is to post-production and so you know we're we're balancing the the dealing with the actors and all the other departments and, yeah. and trying to get clean sound but where it, what it comes down to is it, it was a good for post so you know always trying to 
to know from Tom or whoever else is doing, you know, post sound editing or re-recording mixing, like, how are we doing? You know, how, how, what could be better? What could, you know, what, what can we, what can we do differently? What, what helps you in the, in the future kind of thing? Yeah, this is a Tom on, uh, I remember Ethan on uh, Waking Life, you called me a number of times <laughs> asking me questions. <laughs> That was one of your first. That was my first real gig at a feature. I think a you know that was my first break kind of on a you know a, a full length feature. What was that call like? Was it was it a call like what am I doing? How do I do this? Or what were you guys? Mostly, I was I he, was doing. Go ahead, Tom. Well, he Ethan would be asking me how I was going to deal with the audio. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> um, and and he would ask me what I wanted. So yeah, it was very. That's good. Those are good simple questions. Yeah. <laughs> that that movie was a, a strange one in the sense that it was rotoscope video, um, mm. and it was a lot of people talking, kind of almost. There were scenes, but it was less scene driven. It was more people talking and kind of pontificating on different things, and so that was a benefit for you know on on that there. It was I think that whole movie I was pretty much boomed. I don't know. I don't. I mean, there was a couple wires here and there, but most of it was a, was boomed because it it could be. And so, but yeah, I think you know I was obviously that was one of my first big breaks. I had been doing a lot of commercials and some other smaller stuff before that, and so I was obviously talking to Tom like, okay, you know, I'm concerned about this or I'm concerned about that. How's it sounding in there? How's how, is it going to be okay? That kind of thing. Um, so, we're, we're, but, yeah, we're good. Here's Tom again. The you know it seems like oftentimes whether you're going to work on a film or not is whether you're available. Mm -hmm. And um, you know Ethan, you've worked on a number of films. Ben, the two Bens, have you worked on any other of Rick's films? That's all I've done with Rick is uh, four years of that project. Hmm. Same with me. Uh, no, go ahead, Tom. The uh, when Rick is shot films in uh, like Europe, you know, he'll use production mixers um, from there. But, um, you know, what, Ethan, what happened? Why didn't you continue with like year eight on? Uh, oh, because I kept getting scheduling conflicts. I think I was doing a lot of uh, Robert Rodriguez stuff. And he, they, like I'd said on maybe the other interview, they would, you know, uh, Kathleen or whoever would shoot out an email you know, saying who's available like two or, <laughs> two or three weeks prior to the thing going down. And most of the time I was on other feature films and just wasn't available. I think there was one time or one or two times where I was, you know, it was during the summer where I was out of town for several months. So it just became a just an ongoing thing where there wasn't enough notice and I was on something else. Because it's 12 years and it's just like trying to quantify that amount of time to make yourself available. I mean, did they always tend to shoot during the same time each each year? Or was no, it, no like, it was completely, it was based on actor schedule. This is Ethan. It was yeah. based on actor schedule and it was constantly changing, never consistent and very off the cuff and just very short notices. Is, you know, and it's just that's just how it had to be. That was inherent in the project, but yeah. that's that's what made. I you know I think if you look at the crew list for any department, you know, it's going to be a large one for each one because there was a lot of ping ponging between people that could and couldn't do it, that had worked on it, had worked on it years before, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Sander was was handling the edit, and I guess there were two cinematographers, Lee Daniel and Shane Kelly, and mm -hmm. just looking at the list here, it seems like. The, the main folks were kind of 
able to hang on to the, the, the project throughout. And uh, were there other aspects of the sound department, uh, other folks that were being swapped out throughout the process, or was this the main group of guys? I think that this is the main group of, of people. Yeah. For the for the post-production, you know, it, it, because it's much more concentrated. Right. Um, uh, actually, a lot of the people who work at Soundcraft or the company mm. that I have mm-hmm. um, have worked on Rick's previous films. Yeah. So, um, so Austin's a small place. And, uh, you know, having a, a filmmaker like Rick, you know, it's, it's a, it, we will do whatever we can sometimes, particularly for post-production to, to work on his films. Yeah. It'll make some time. And how do you, how do you find in terms of, um, you know, I guess Tom, for you with, with I'm not familiar with your studio, the mix stage where this was mixed, where, where was it mixed and, and where, um, how many other folks were on the, the mix? There, well, let's see. There were probably um, there were eight of us in post editors, mm-hmm. mixers. Uh, the film, though, was mixed at a house. Okay. Uh, because a sound crowd, and this is, a, I guess, Rick trusts us so much that uh, even though we had this problem, you know, and we we still have this same problem because the studio, the new studio, hasn't been completed. But we mixed in a in a house. We did a lot of the editing at this one house. A lot of the editing was done at other people's uh, home um, studios. Yeah. But um, it was mixed in a in a master bedroom. And, <laughs> it sounds yeah. it sounds like what, what what most people wish they could be doing today. But you guys really did that. We really did it for the last uh, week. We then took it to a Dolby approved stage. Uh-huh. Therefore, the you know because it's not bedroom the room the size of large bedrooms is still going to have some problems. I was talking about this earlier. Yeah. For, for instance, the music is tends to be play a little bit too loud because first of all the speakers were taken from a large studio and they're huge. They're oh, okay. in this room, and um, so when we took it to to the Dolby approved stage, we needed to basically adjust the music a little bit, bring the level up. Yeah. We were bringing it down too much. I'm glad that I'm, I'm 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 sure the production guys are just love to hear that you guys are mixing this film in uh, in a bedroom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we should have taken more pictures. Uh, but we don't really have many pictures. Um, yeah. Of well, the, the way it came out, you should you should do all your movies in a bedroom. Yeah. yeah. Well, we don't want it. <laughs> to all what? It's a great place to bring your clients. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, it's great until your mom shows up, and then you know you have to leave. So, right, right. Yeah. Right. Um, Luckily, no one is sleeping here. So. Oh God. Well, what, what do you guys find in terms of? I mean, was this a somewhat? I'm not sure. Familiar? How big of a budget was this? Is it, this is definitely a, a smaller budget film? You know, this is a smaller budget film, and I, I can tell you what the budget is. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the film is long, so that yeah. you know there was, but uh, the total. Um, post audio budget was about one hundred and sixty thousand. Wow, and, and I can just imagine that scheduling or, or yeah, figuring out a line item budget for twelve years of folks and gear and packages. What what uh, what was unexpected? Do you think were there issues of you know kind of being up against the wall with the unexpected of costs and the length of this project? Uh, this is Ethan. Um, well, they they knew. I mean. 
if you take how many days it is actually shot versus a, a standard movie that's shot in about two months, right. it probably would be about the sa- same, you know, gear days and man days and all that kind of stuff. I mean, obviously, there was uh, things were going to increase in price, probably, but because uh, because it's, di- still... it's digital and digital costs more, right? Well, <laughs> it start. I mean, I think they shot uh, shot on film all the way through. Did they, Lowry? Yeah. Yeah, all the way through on film. Yeah, so it was it was oh, going to wow. be shot on film, and that was decided early on just because of consistency. I think, yeah. knowing that it was going to go over so amount of, a certain amount of time. Um, but as far as the cost, I don't know what the 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 bottom line for the total production cost was, or or the of the film. But uh, that's fine. I mean, yeah. But but I mean, it was you know, say you shoot, you know, five days, three to five days over twelve years, where you get into about the same amount of days as if you're just going to shoot two months straight. Okay. Um, so I don't know if it t- changes that much in cost. I mean, this was a labor of love. I mean, everybody was working, um, or at least from the production side, at probably half rates and half rates on gear. Um, and I think that stayed consistent through it. You know, it was it was understood that. IFC was taking a risk even backing something like this mm. and um, and and obviously everyone was happy that it was was being backed but it was it was a low budget for sure um, I don't know what the, the bottom line ended up being but everybody who worked on it from the production side anyway was definitely doing it you know because they wanted to be part of it I mean sure we're getting paid but it was more about working on it than it was about the paycheck. Yeah, I just, I just looked online. It looks like the production budget was four million overall. So that's way low. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's a low budget movie. <laughs> it's it's amazing. And I guess with a almost three hour film, with two hours forty five minutes or so here, that's a lot of work. And I can imagine for you, uh, Tom, just the fact knowing that it's all going to come together at one point once Sandra hands off your, the edit and you guys start getting that post-production stage. I guess, what are some takeaways for each of you guys of, of a project like this? What, what's unique and different, obviously, besides the fact that it, it spans so many years? Were, were there other um, other things? You know, not really. I mean, it's just the... Uh, maybe it's the uh, the editing that Sandra was doing was actually still going on mm-hmm. during the time. The because we started in November and then finished basically in May, it was a long period for uh, post audio. Okay. But there were a lot of periods during that time where we weren't working on it. For instance, we did thirteen temp mixes, and the screening at Sundance um, in January of this year was actually one of the temp mixes, and <laughs> yeah, it actually sure. had this the problem scene, the Perdinella scene. Mm-hmm in it and uh i mean you know we hadn't finished the audio there was there's i mean probably a third of the music was also swapped out yeah so yeah. um the the adr was all done within a a you know short period of time yeah except for that section with um mason okay there was a lot of group material. I mean, it was a pretty, pretty straightforward yeah. process. Well, what about you, uh, for you, Ethan? Uh, ask the question again. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this interview will be twelve years. Also, just just again, no. <laughs> no uh, just wondering if there are unexpected um, aspects of of working on a project like this that only unique to a project like this. I don't think so much. I mean, really, the 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 haphazard scheduling, you know, of it was the main thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the days were like any other, you know, Rick film day. 
you know, um, uh-huh. and the other movies that I'd worked, they were very similar, tend to go very long. You know, he's, he's a perfectionist to his credit and doesn't just go through things quickly. So it takes as long as it takes. And it was usually under scheduled in general, um, because they were only able to get the actors for so many days. So when we worked, it was, you know, we were going to work some pretty full days. Um, it really just the, the nature of how it was put together each year would be the, the unique thing to it. Um, the, the filming itself was fairly straightforward and, and, you know, what I was used to working with Rick. Yeah. Well, uh, for you guys, Ben Lowry or Ben Lazard, any, I was, I was just thinking about it. it was, it was shot on 35 all the way through. And, uh, and, um, I hope it's not the last project I work on that's shot on film because yeah. I, I haven't seen it in the last couple of years. But I do hope it's the last thing I have to deliver DVD RAMs for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Burn those in three years or so, other than that project. What, what happy were, to see you go. What was the deliverable? I mean, it, it, these are your tracks that you're delivering on, on C-Drum? Yeah, the production, the production tracks uh, all get burned to an optical disc. This, of course, is after... Um, the point when Ethan transitioned from linear tape uh, to discs, but yeah, we stuck with the same type of deliverable all the way through. Yeah, I mean, it's fun to be nostalgic about you know how it was back then, but I think when we think about what we had to go through to uh, do just the job that we do today, I don't think we miss it at all. So, yeah, yeah. Well, yes, yes. I don't I don't miss the um, back to the DVD Rams for a minute. I think that it was the baseball scene where it was we were really in in Houston in a real baseball game. And I remember thinking to myself, these the, the recorder that I was working on at that time was just as things were transitioning. And they had half size DVD Rams uh, discs. And I was always worried about how much record time that I had at how many tracks and kind of like a, some great things started to happen. And I was, it was the, Oh shit, am I going to get it kind of thing before I roll out? You know, that, that's the kind of stuff that we don't have to even think about now with anywhere from, you know, multiple hundreds of gigs to terabyte size drives that, you know, I could record an entire film uh, on, on the drive that's in my machine, you know, easily. So yeah, that, that was kind of funny having to, manage that kind of stuff it was like if, if, if tom if you had to mix this before automation it would have been a different story but obviously that wasn't the case for you yeah i mean <laughs> for, for for instance a temp mix the temp mix is like this um because we're working on the dialogue yeah while the while sandra is still cutting they're screening it for various audiences getting some input um we get a new picture edit back from her and we just conform um the previous mix and then we just do another layer of, of fixes on it and yeah. tweaks. So yes, having editable automation is, is wonderful. <laughs> well, you, you guys, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this uh, really fantastic project. I love watching the film and I can't even imagine what it was like to uh, be on such a project for 12 years. Hopefully, or maybe, I don't know, maybe there will be another project like this in the future, but I, I think just what you guys were able to accomplish was, was really great. So thanks again for talking. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. you.